Today's show is brought to you by Airtable. Airtable is part spreadsheet, part database, and all amazing. The thing with Airtable is it's entirely powerful, but it's also entirely flexible. Take maintaining an editorial calendar. You need to manage an entire editorial process with tight deadlines and lots of moving parts. We are just now finished the latest issue of Digiday Magazine, and let me tell you, there were a lot of moving parts. It can get very confusing very quickly, but with Airtable, you can get organized in your own way. That's why places like BuzzFeed, Group 9, and Time all use Airtable. Airtable is flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything and everyone on schedule. Visit Airtable.com slash Digiday today to get $50 in free credits. Hello and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. Today I am joined by Samantha Barry. Uh, Sam is the new editor-in-chief at Glamour. She was at CNN and BBC previously, and she was quickly touted as an atypical choice for the magazine given her background in TV, radio, digital, social media. So she hasn't been in a magazine editing role before. I talked to her about how that has been, the challenges Glamour faces as a legacy publication, and the opportunity in reinventing Glamour into a brand that's more than just the magazine. Hope you enjoy it. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you joined uh, Glamour in January. What, what attracted you to go to a magazine? You were, you were at CNN, you were at BBC. Why, why a magazine? Love a challenge. Um, I think or is it a magazine? It's a title. It's a media brand. Um, I don't look at it. I don't look as Glamour as just a magazine. Yes, we do put out 11 magazines a year, which is a huge part of what we do. But it's a digital brand and it's a social brand and it's an events brand around Women of the Year. And so for me, it was the challenge to go and be editor at a, a media title during a time uh, that is so important for women. I think when I started having the conversations with Condé Nast, it was very much as Me Too had just kicked off in the mainstream media in general, seemed very interested in what women had to say or were saying. And I think... You know, I think publishing is going through um, an interesting time. Um, That's a euphemism, right? <laughs> for me, I think you know it's going through it's going through an interesting time, and I think I love a challenge. I took on social at CNN when it wasn't a huge thing, a, a big job, and I built it into a, a global team that worked twenty four seven and won an Edward R Murrow Award. I wanted to take Glamour, which is this brilliant legacy brand that's been around since 1939 take all of my experience from broadcast and digital um and tv and 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 put that to good work at glamour okay so you don't run away from the legacy uh, no label. i enjoy it i've i've often like i've worked if you my whole career i've worked at legacy brands so i started at a legacy brand in ireland and radio or t which is like the radio telefiche mm -hmm. in i worked at the bbc in london for years it's true legacy, legacy yeah. brand cnn is a legacy brand here in the u.s when we're talking about broadcast media and then glamour is i mean it's been around since 1939 so it's got a very amazing storied history um that they should be super proud of. And I'm, you know, I think the o only sixth editor that they've had in that mm -hmm. time. So it's, um, it's a, um, it's a big job and I'm excited to do it. What's, what was the big 
challenge that you saw. I want to get to the opportunity, but what was the challenge? I think one of the challenges for me was coming out, out of a day-to-day news cycle and going into something that had a multitude of deadlines. So what I mean by that is I'm an editor that has to look at, of course, the day-to-day. You know, as in the moments before I walked in here, Kate Spade has, uh, um, we've heard the news about Kate Spade's apparent suicide mm-hmm. and we were reacting to that in real time. That's a muscle that I know really well from news and I really know that from hard news I know it from CNN I know from BBC the muscle and the challenge that I had to learn in this job is I also today have been looking at the October and the September lineup I've been planning women of the year in November and it's those longer Mm -hmm. lead times that for me as somebody that's very much in in a lot of my my career been of the minute of the hour that's it's a new part of my brain that I'm working. Right. I can sort of empathize because we, we have events, we have now have a magazine, and right. so and digital, it's, it's everything now. Um, so what was, the, uh, what was the opportunity that you saw with the brand? Uh, because there's a winnowing out there. I mean, mm-hmm. and brands now need to stand for something because right. a, lot of, a lot of people talk about brands, but mm-hmm. they're stuck in the middle. Right. And, and I think that's what's getting really whacked right now. I think one of the things that Glamour stands for is women's empowerment. And I know that sounds pretty basic, but it is really about telling the stories for and about women. And it has a specific point of view, which is about empowering women. And I think I've really pushed the team to go deeper in the types of stories that we tell. And what I mean by that is I, I think we had got to a stage where a lot of women's titles were coming from a place that felt very coastal. Um, while they serve a lot of women in the middle of the country. And so I've pushed the team, how do we uh, re-engage with women in Austin and Detroit and Chicago and, and tell their stories? Because I, I I do feel as a new editor, that was one of the things that I uh, took on board from some of the consumer research and, and, and just the feeling out there that a lot of media companies feel like they're talking at you from New mm-hmm. York. And I do not want Glamour to be that. Give me a piece of the consumer research that spoke to that. Because I, I, you, we hear a lot yeah. about this, particularly after the election, about the sort of coastal elites. And as someone who lives in Brooklyn, I wonder. I what know. They're, they're I talking think, about me. You know, one of the things, and I, we've been pursuing this recently, and we've got something really, honestly, very insightful coming out in September, ahead of the midterms, about uh, why women voted, why women vote for certain things. And I think, in hindsight, as I looked back as somebody that worked at CNN and very much the front row of the elections in 2016, I don't know if the story of women and why they voted was being told properly. I think there was this assumption that women were going to vote a certain way. And the reality is they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of white women voted for Donald Trump. I don't think that was predicted by anybody from the media, um, in particular, even women's titles. And I think one of the things that we were trying to get after um, with what we're doing in terms of our politics coverage is to come from a nonpartisan point of view um how can you possibly I think pull you can, that off i think you can do that because we're, we're actually you know we're talking to republican women and we're doing we're telling stories um that you mightn't have seen in glamour before one of them we went to a gun show in vegas and we just asked women why they owned a gun and we didn't we honestly just wanted the answer of why they owned a gun and i think it, you may see other places come from, uh, I can't believe mm-hmm. they own a gun. We've got actually really interesting a little, you know, snippet ahead for you. We've got some, we've done some big investigations into uh, the uptick in women 
owning handguns across America, and that's going to be coming out in the co- in the coming mm-hmm. months. And I think, I think there are stories as we look into September. Women are voting for cert- for for certain candidates for certain reasons, and I think we have. Uh, we have the responsibility to tell that from both sides. We had a great story in Alabama, which was, um, we got, Alabama's got the um, highest per capita rate of African-American women that are running for office. It's the uh, Roy Moore effect. They, the black women in Alabama voted, 98% of them voted to get um, Doug Jones in. Mm-hmm. Um, and But now they're running this year. And they are mostly Democrats. Um, there was one um, Republican, but we did bring a group of them together in Montgomery and we told their stories. And I think the onus is on us to tell stories across the political divide because I, I do think there's a lot of Republican women that um, I want to hear from. Mm-hmm. So you think you can be about women's empowerment, but also be nonpartisan yes. in this era of Donald Trump in which that does not seem from my perch in Brooklyn to be I, I the know, case. from our perch in Brooklyn, that might sound like it, that may, and we, you know. It, it just seems like a really hard it circle does, It does, it does. But there are many Republican women that don't support Trump, but are Republican women and conservative women. Right. Um, and they stand for different things in their community or um, when they vote. Mm-hmm. They're not voting necessarily for Donald Trump, but they're voting for a conservative viewpoint that they um, hold dear. How about Me Too? How has Me Too changed the role of quote-unquote women's publications? Because I feel like mm. women's publications have have moved from focusing a lot on on beauty and fashion, and, and that's where the advertiser base is. If I, I didn't do the metrics, but flipping through right. uh, Glamour, it's not it's not hard to tell that, that the advertiser base is around um, beauty and fashion. Um, to now talking about you know, there are much broader issues. So we talk Kate Spade, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking now, uh, j- the news just broke um, about her dying of an apparent suicide. And I would, I would guess now there'll be a lot more mental health issues mm-hmm. that are covered in women's magazines where it, it used to just be handbags. Yeah, see, I think that's, I, 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 I'd like to disagree though. Okay. I think Glamour has, I think Glamour has for many years, way before me, done amazing journalism. And I think it was the first magazine to ever have a story about sexual harassment in the workplace in the early 80s. It was the first magazine ever to put an African-American woman on the cover of a fashion magazine in 1963. I do think if if you look at it, 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 there is maybe a misconception of like women's titles are all about fashion and beauty. Of course they have fashion and beauty in them, but they've often for decades and years, and they will definitely be doing it under my tenure, doing a lot of really worthy journalism. Um, and when you talk about Me Too, I actually went to Jim Nelson at GQ in my first week and I said, we need to do something together about Me Too because we're having these conversations um, in our editorial meetings and this question that we keep bringing up was like, okay, well, what are the men thinking? What's the conversation around the men? So GQ and Glamour, we, we worked together on a collaboration where we did an anonymous survey of about a thousand men and we st- kicked off a real open conversation between men and women and Me Too. I think wi- women's titles have for many years been doing some amazing journalism. I think because of the time that we're in now, maybe it's the Me Too era and maybe it's a lot of people are looking at women in the political sphere or maybe they're, people really care about women voters. There's more of an emphasis and there's more of a uh, magnifying glass on it. I, I think it's been around I mean for the a while, balance. Though. Like there's always been, mm. there's always been that, that side, but let's, let's face it, the, the, the money has come from yeah. the, the beauty and fashion. 
Yeah, and I, I do think you're seeing a lot more in women's titles, though, you know, if you flick through or a magazine or if you look at digitally we're getting a lot more advertisers coming in from the non-endemics mm. as they're called pharma automotive um advertisers that understand the spending power of women which right. is huge and they want to be next to content that women yeah. care about and some of that is fashion and beauty and some of it is journalism and some of it is entertainment and pop culture yeah. um but I guess the, the question is um a lot of advertisers are also looking for safe havens mm-hmm. from this this, these important issues because mm-hmm. they're very fraught and they get people um, worked up right. a little bit, <laughs> some of them. And and sometimes advertisers get the idea that, you know, the worked up consumer is probably not <laughs> as receptive to... Um, I don't to, know. I'm often worked out up and I'm always buying things on Amazon Prime late at night, <laughs> maybe, just maybe clicking a bu- buy now button. But 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 there is there is a business imperative yeah. too to balance um, uh, there. Yeah, I think and it's been interesting learning in the publishing world, uh, the world of adjacencies and spreads. And of course, there's content um, in any magazine or digital that pe- advertisers don't want to be associated with. Um, I mean, I found that a lot with hard news, but I think we have such a mix of content that you'll always find a place to put your adver- you know, advertising next to. So mm-hmm. there, there will always be an adjacency that you will find. Um, and honestly, I think advertisers are realizing that people are well-rounded people, that they can read about abortion as much as they can pick up a, a lipstick. Or, mm-hmm. um, But L'Oreal New York does not want to be near uh, the abortion article. They want to be near... They want to be at the front of book next to the beauty, right? That makes <laughs> sense for them, right? So they want to be next to the beauty, the beauty sections. Okay. We'll be right back after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Teamwork has never been more important, and that's hard to pull off in an environment like today's when everything is constantly changing. Enter Airtable. This is a tool that can fit your process, but Airtable is also powerful enough that it keeps everyone on the same page. Time, for instance, uses Airtable to manage its entire creative process, from the original idea to the content creation to getting that content out the door. Airtable empowers you to do your work your way. Try it today. Head to Airtable.com dot com slash digiday to receive fifty dollars in free credits thank you airtable now back to the episode you when you joined you didn't have you weren't a magazine editor and no. then people said oh no they, they've <laughs> hired someone who wasn't a magazine editor what, what's been the surprise of trying to balance um you know look being an editor is being an editor yeah um but magazines have their own rhythm yeah it's kind of back to that like that rhythm of you know it's it's interesting for me um even for my first issue in May, how many times I saw a single piece of copy because the process of magazines is that you see the first proof and the second proof and the third proof. And I'd come from a place where, and we still have that digitally where I I really just send it just before they hit publish, right? Um, So that's that's a different process. Um, I think it's interesting. I know we, we talked about this earlier today with a group of students where they brought up this question of like, you're not the average magazine editor and I I don't I, I don't know if you have an average magazine editor in 2018 because if you look at the difference a, a magazine editor 10 years ago would have been print focused very much all about the content um long lead times well an editor that you need today needs to work across print digital social events they need to have a multitude of deadlines they do have to have what I c- call an eye on the business and the revenue side they're not mm-hmm. li- they're not 
you know, we do have publishing that look after the revenue side of it, but I'm very aware of, 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 and have those conversations. And I think most of the great editors from, you know, um, my previous editor, um, at CNN, Meredith or John Avalon at the Daily Beast, those, those, um, editors don't live in a silo where they don't know what's happening on the business side. And I think you need, and more importantly than ever in a media title today, you need an editor that's able to innovate. And I, uh, I think that's why I think for some in the industry, I was a surprising choice, but for others, I wasn't. Right. So what does innovation look like for Glamour? I mean, we talked about expanding, yeah. like, I'm interested in the elasticity of brands, both in their coverage area, because mm-hmm. we see a lot of brands expanding. And I think a lot of this is driven by our current era. Mm-hmm. Like, um, staying away from politics is not a, it's not an option for a sports uh, brand when no. the president is, attra- is attacking my beloved Philadelphia Eagles. Um, <laughs> and the Eagles are right. I know, they're this. not going to the White House. What's um, the backstory there? Yeah, but the mascot apparently <laughs> was willing to go, which was, um, which was disappointing. Um, but anyway, so how do you, how elastic does this brand get, um, from being a, mostly a magazine brand? I think it's got a, it's got a good stretch pants on it. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that I've been working with the team is, um, one of the things that's important to think about when we do stretch the elasticity that you still remain true to what the brand stands for. Right. So, um, there's no point in me chasing breaking news at Glamour unless it's very specific. But there is, there is a point of us following on the second or the third or the fourth day story that nobody else is covering because there's a very obvious Glamour lead to it and there's a Glamour story there. I think one of the things I've been pushing in with my team is um, where can we get the exclusive? So what, how can we stand out? In a world of curated content from other people, mm-hmm. Glamour needs to stand out with either exclusives or original reporting. So I've been really pushing that rather than, you know, clickbait, right? That somebody else mm-hmm. has. And I give this example to a couple of times of the Kardashian stories that I like. And a Kardashian story I don't like and a Kardashian story I do like, which makes sense for Glamour. Number one is, you know, Kim Kardashian has pink hair and there's a picture and somebody writes two paragraphs. That's not what I want on Glamour. It's not, doesn't, it's, it, that, you could see Might that on. Might be efficient though. I know, but you can see that on seven other different sites and it doesn't, it, it doesn't really make brand loyalty. It doesn't make people want to deep dive in time spent with it. A Kardashian story I do care about is when Kendall Jenner or Kylie Jenner writes a tweet and it sinks the value of Snapchat by however much. And we do a piece that looks into what other women can move markets with a social like and we do some original reporting. We add voice and we add something else to that conversation. Um, so I think that's one of the things I'm pushing the team exclusives and original reporting. I am asking more and more in probably a way that they hadn't heard before. What's the video element? So when we're in and we're talking about something for print, what is the video add-on that we can have for digital or social? Uh, when we go in and we shoot our cover stars, they, we never go in without a video concept now, right? So yes, it is a cover story for a print magazine, but we're going in with a video concept. If we're doing a story for the site uh, of a given week, I'll ask what the video concept is. It doesn't need to be a, an expensive video concept. It could be as simple as here's what we're doing on Instagram stories with it and what we're shooting, but I want that team and they really are stepping up to the plate to be thinking more than just words. I want mm-hmm. them to think about how does this story look across all these different platforms and for some of the platforms, video is going to be important. But you don't have like a quota that, that says 
30% of our content's going to be video by No, but you no, I think I really want to I want to I want to kind of change the habits. I want to on I want our audience to know when they come to glamour.com or even when they come to the magazine that there'll be the added video component where they can mm-hmm. like the second screen experience for them. It's almost like we you know, it's I think we have to um retrain our audience of what they're going to get when they come to the site as well. I don't have a quota of video, but I do I am really interested when we talk about metrics on time spent and habit. They're the ones I care about a lot. Um, so how much time people are spending with us. So it's not a one and done and in and out. And that's what you get from mm-hmm. the pink haired Kim Kardashian story. But that's not what you get from a deep dive that goes in. You know, we we time spent on one of my earlier stories when I was there on. We did something speci- special around the Larry Nassau trial where we did took all the transcripts of the survivors and the judge's testimony and we did an audio heavy video heavy long piece and people spent on average seven minutes with that story which digitally is pretty impressive um and then habit which is something i cared about a lot at cnn i absolutely care about a glamour um you're building that habit that brand loyalty that you know they're coming back to you a couple of times a week. They're coming to mm-hmm. you across different platforms. That's important to me as well. How do you measure habit? I mean, a lot more it's people are talking hard, It's about. harder. It's harder than, you know, one of the things when I was at CNN, it was one of the things I pushed both Facebook and Instagram and our social partners with, which was I want to know the habit that that they're having. I think it's easier on owned and operated to understand from an IP who's coming back and how many times a week they're coming and you can do some rudimentary math to look at the habit of of, of some of your users. But I'm really interested in it. I do, don't think we're in a place where um, we're completely, I don't know if anybody is completely set up to look at the habit, but as smartphones get smart smarter and everybody follows you from device to device, I think it's going to be easier to track. Um, habit. Quick break to tell you about our Can Lions coverage. It is coming up soon in two weeks. Sign up for the Digiday Can briefing to get a daily email with all the highs, lows, and absurdities of the week. It will arrive in your inboxes at 6 a.m. Can time. You'll also get invites if you want to exclusive events that we are hosting there, including a live recording of this podcast in which I'm going to be speaking with Fox Media CEO Jim Bankoff. Our own Shireen Patak is also doing a live podcast uh, from there. So if you are going to be in Cannes or you're just Cannes curious, please do sign up. Find out more at digiday.com slash can. Now back to the episode. So how is your relationship with Facebook and different platforms different now versus in your role at CNN? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I've always had a really good relationship with the platforms. I think one of the things at CNN that we did, and this was under, my boss was amazing, Meredith there, and she was, we never put our eggs into one basket. We were, we had a nice spread. We port- had a lot of eggs. We had a diverse right? por- portfolio. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't have that hard, you know, that hard day that a lot of companies that had put all their eggs in the Facebook basket had earlier this year where it's like oh god if we're not getting that traffic where are we getting the traffic from I think I'm taking the same tact at, at, at Glamour where SEO is important to us Flipboard's important Instagram's important Facebook's important but none of them are as important to me as cre- cultivating that owned and operated experience both in print and on our own sites because mm-hmm. you have full control over that right you're not beholden to anybody else you you know, you probably make more money if people are coming directly to you than via, um, you know, let's say an instant article or whatever it is. Um, but my relationship with the platforms have always been good because, you know, 
um, I think I think publishing houses have to get the best out of the platforms that they can and and uh, be a little selfish and make the right calls. I think there's, you know, we had this a lot at CNN where be, they would come to us and we would always be offered the first, you know, test in whatever. Yeah. You were in the first press release. We were always sure. in the first press release. I mean, Watch is yeah. coming out with their news shows but, tomorrow. But you don't always CNN have to, yeah. <laughs> you don't always have to say yes to them, right? right? And there was there were many things that we said no to because it didn't make sense. Was there? Us. It felt like CNN was always just I, We said yes, yes to a lot, but we definitely said no to some. And I think one of the things that we learned when I was there and one of the biggest things we learned was... Um, you know, we learned a lot, you know, we learned a lot on, let's say we were one of the first, we were the first or company in the world to ever do Facebook Live. And we did a hundred, at one stage we were doing a hundred Facebook Lives a month. And we learned so much from that live streaming experience that we actually took it to our own and operators. So you'll see now like in CNN, their, their live streams on their own apps. Some of those learnings came from what we learned ourselves on Facebook Live. What, okay, what so did, it wasn't a work. total waste. No, it's like a guinea pig test, tester <laughs> zone. It's like a beta testing for us. Okay, so you just had your your first issue, and it was the money issue. Mm-hmm. Like, what? I mean, new design. Um, what was the sort of significant change from your standpoint in making well, that? Well, I think when you do any type of redesign, it's like it's a very visual um, signpost that things are different, right? So we changed the logo. We changed actually the run of the book, right? So the magazine itself, in the publishing world, it's very common to have a well and a front of book. Mm-hmm. Um, that was concepts I'd never heard of before I got to publishing. And so my question was like, why do we need to do it that way? And I think... It eases people into it. I know. And it's easier organizationally. Well, we threw it out. So we said we do four chapters instead because I I, I honestly think it is quite a publishing, you know, it's a publishing term. Um, Mm -hmm. So we we changed it and we did four chapters. Look, live... Um, feel and think and we also in the, in the chapterizing of the magazine into those sections it was uh, two reasons why I did that one was because I wanted to kind of unpick some of the verticals that seemed a little dated to me um, you know there were verticals I would have seen or sections that I would have seen in magazines in like the 90s or um, so I wanted to you know kind of rebrand and have fresh fresh look um, of what those four sections were. But also for me, as a new editor, it was changing the culture. So in publishing, you've often have this example where people, you know, an editor will, let's say, own four pages of a magazine. And if I'm being frank, they only care about the four, their four pages of a magazine in the given yeah. month. They're not ca- looking holistically across the whole magazine. And so for me, unpicking not only um, those those sections, but really making it into four chapters giving um teams so the teams now are are are, um set up that some you know the let's say the news and culture director cares about what think which is the kind of media journalism part of the book looks like but they also care about what it looks like across digital on a given day in a Mm -hmm. given week so it was unpicking that culture of like i only care about the two pages i i i have um responsibility for on any given month so that was an opportunity in the rebrand as well to take that apart so do you have one staff or like many in that like one so no there's no like digital team no everybody's in together and that was one of the you know there was it, it there was a little bit of you know when your parents put you in the back of a car and go on the holidays and they smack your heads together and you're like you're just going to get on we're, we're going to do this and I, coming in new it was very much like nobody nobody is working just on print and just on digital everybody now of course people you know depending on their hi- history and their experience would probably be more fluent in one than the other 
but it was very much we on it's the team is one team we come in every morning at 9 a.m which i take from my broadcast cnn bbc days we have a morning meeting we talk about what we're doing that day that week that month and the people that i've started hiring the new people when they come in i look at them and the role that i'm taking them on for is somebody that can work across print can work across digital and can help me plan events so it's somebody editorially that can work. That's across like a this. unicorn, right? I know. I love unicorns. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but they're rare. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the challenge of the unicorn world. Yeah. Uh, how is the competitive set different for Glamour now than than say it, it was historically? I think you have more competitors. If I'm being honest, so the competitors in the newsstand haven't changed that much, right? So who you're up against on the newsstand has pretty much mm-hmm. been the same. But you got to re- compete with the refineries. And the but on digital, you have stuff. to keep with the refineries. You've got to compete with a lot of people on social I think the whole thing on digital is you're just competing for time and attention right yeah. and so you're you've got to yes uh, uh, c- compete with the car you've got to compete with refinery you've got a, a lot of other digital only players that you're competing with digitally social again you're you're not only competing with other media organizations you're competing with like influencers and people yeah. with big followings um so there is your competitive set continues to grow final question is you've had an interesting and varied career What's your piece of career advice for for those listening to the podcast who are earlier on in their careers? I think um, being, I think not being uh, one of the, or like my my media portfolio has gone from radio to TV to digital to publishing, right? I think not being um, stubborn on I've, this is the path I'm going and this is the place I'm going to go. I don't think that, 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 that I think you, you need to be able to jump. Um, to different industries within the media. Um, I think that's important. But I, honestly, the best piece of advice is to be nice to people. Like, being nice to people is often underrated, but there are many people that I have worked with throughout my career um, that make a lasting impression just because they've been kind and nice. And newsrooms are sometimes very stressful places. They can be. Deadlines can be very stressful. There's a lot of big personalities. And the people that stand out for me... Um, are the people that are nice. And I know that sounds, um, I mean, it sounds a bit basic, but like being nice, um, knowing, you know, n- not a pushover, but being nice is is important and kind. Okay. That's a nice <laughs> note to end on, Sam. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks. And thank you all for listening. This podcast is produced by Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, and I hope you did, please subscribe. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. And while you are there, please leave a comment. Uh, We always like comments. Um, Thanks again. We'll be back next week with a new episode.